Hi, I'm Minika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. There's been a lot of news on the war in Ukraine, and when things are moving so fast like this, we hear a lot of terms that might be unfamiliar, and we don't always stop to think, wait, what is that? For instance, you've probably been hearing the phrase, no-fly zone. We are asking for the no-fly zone. A no-fly zone is not on the table. And the no-fly zone is essential. Just so we're clear, I do not support a no-fly zone. No-fly zone! Please, talk to your governments and ask them to close the sky above Ukraine. It's being talked about as a way for Western countries to help Ukraine. But what would that really mean? So it's a part of this impulse to help but impulse to help at a reasonable cost. Dr. Stacy Pettyjohn is a senior fellow and director of the defense program at the Center for a New American Security, a think tank based in Washington, D.C. She'll help us understand what a no-fly zone is, why Ukraine wants one, and why the West doesn't. This is The Decibel. Stacey, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's just start with the basics here. We're hearing the term no-fly zone thrown around a lot in in the news these days. But what exactly is a no-fly zone? A no-fly zone is a bit of a euphemism. It is a, a term of art that emerged after the end of the Cold War when the United States began uh, creating airspace where it excluded hostile aircraft. And that means that if any aircraft violated and entered the zone that was declared where they were not allowed to fly, that they would end up being shot down. It is actually a form of combat and a hostile act. But it has normally been intended to help and protect people on the ground that are being persecuted by an aggressive state. Is it just really a matter of planes flying around to secure the area and make sure no other planes are there? Or I guess practically, what what does it look like? There's a bit of circling above in the sky and um, just patrolling the airspace to watch for any potential incursions. But it goes beyond just uh, protecting against hostile aircraft because they're going to be loitering in the airspace for so long and circling above the aircraft that are enforcing the no-fly zone need to be sure that they are safe, which means that they need to neutralize any potential threats. And those may emanate from the ground or the air. Mm. And those systems have to be neutralized to enforce a no-fly zone. Otherwise, there is a risk that they could be turned on and engage the patrolling aircraft and, and shoot them down. What is usually the main point of a no-fly zone? What is it intended to do? It's to help people. It's to protect someone on the ground. In some ways, I think it is a preferred option because it's seen as less risky for the countries that would be creating the no-fly zone because they're in the air. And a lot of the nations where there have been no-fly zones put in place have not really had a strong capability to challenge it. So it's a part of this impulse to help, but impulse to help at a reasonable cost. You actually look at this a lot more in depth than a lot of us do. So I guess, what are some of the common misconceptions that people tend to have about no-fly zones? I don't think they realize that they actually require active enforcement. And that normally uh, means that you have to be willing and able to shoot down 
hostile aircraft or air defenses. Otherwise, they end up being toothless. In Bosnia, before an actual enforced no-fly zone was put up, there was one that NATO had installed where they were monitoring what was going on in the ground, and they didn't actually have the authority to enforce it, which meant that they just watched the atrocities happening. Um, And that's not a position you want to be in either. Yeah, because when we're talking about a a no-fly zone then, like, do aircrafts need support from other parts of the military, like on the ground forces, like the Navy? Is is this kind of a fuller effort, I guess, than what we would usually think of? It ends up often being a fairly big effort because having aircraft above a certain part of the sky and patrolling it and ready to respond to any potential violations is fairly demanding. Jets are pretty fast, but you, they still, a lot of them don't have much endurance. So you need aerial refueling aircraft up there. Sometimes the jets might come from carrier aircraft based at the sea and might be supported by other aircraft that provide them with intelligence about the situation that have better sensors in addition to uh, satellites that will support them through communications and help them with their situational awareness. So it, it does end up being actually a fairly big effort because what you're essentially doing is being prepared to defend that airspace and respond very, very quickly to any sort of challenges that might emerge. So we're hearing about this now, but let's take a step back for a moment. When was this military tactic first introduced? No-fly zones only uh, sort of emerged after the Cold War had ended and after the first U.S. invasion of Iraq with Operation Desert Storm in 1991. Saddam Hussein sent his battered but still large army to brutally suppress their revolt, killing tens of thousands of Kurds and Shiites and creating a million Kurd refugees who tried to flee into Turkey. The U.N. responded to this humanitarian disaster by demanding that Saddam Hussein end the brutality to his own people and authorize the United States to organize a coalition to conduct Operation Provide Comfort, which enforced a no-fly zone north of 36 degrees. And it was, again, a humanitarian impulse, but it evolved into Operation Northern Watch, which was a no-fly zone that lasted for more than a decade. And then in 1992, they added um, a no-fly zone in the southern part of Iraq. Uh, NATO aircraft and American aircraft would patrol that area, and sometimes Saddam sent in jets to challenge them. They had to shoot a few Iraqi MiGs down um, to show that they actually intended to enforce the no-fly zone. And any of the air defenses that turned on their radars and sort of locked on where they could potentially shoot at the NATO aircraft um, had to be bombed as well. Um, So it, it really was a combat operation. But one thing to keep in mind is that Whenever no-fly zones have been established before, it has been against much weaker powers than Russia, countries that did not have nearly the capability to escalate and to really challenge NATO and turn it into something where it would become full-fledged open combat. Hmm. Just to go back to the Iraq example, was that situation in Iraq where the no-fly zones were established, was that considered a success then? In some ways, yes, but again, it had a mixed record in terms of being able to protect people on the ground. And it, in truth, went beyond a no-fly zone eventually. Um, in Southern Watch, it also became a no-drive zone, which meant that they um, were willing and would bomb Iraqi ground forces. So again, this is really actually a defensive protective area that involves attacking any troops that threaten someone else. 
Can you give us an example of when a no-fly zone wasn't necessarily the right choice in retrospect? Yeah, I mean, if you see the examples of no-fly zones, they've all evolved and that they have, at best, halfway met their objective of protecting the populations that they were intended to. So on that metric alone, they are partially successful at best. But they've tended to persist. If the problem isn't resolved, if you don't remove the threat, either Saddam Hussein or uh, the Bosnian Serb government or Milosevic, it sort of evolves into an ongoing combat operation that you need to continually staff and protect against. So the no-fly zones by themselves don't actually seem to result in a durable political or military solution, and you have to continue to um, enforce them, and um, that can be pretty onerous. Let's come back to the current situation, the the war in Ukraine now. What would it mean to install a no-fly zone there? So there are different ideas about what that would entail, and I actually haven't seen any of them fully fleshed out um, yet. Mm -hmm. So you could imagine having a no-fly zone over all of Ukraine, including the disputed areas in the Donbass, and that would be the most maximalist position where essentially the international community comes in and states that they are going to enforce Ukraine's sovereign airspace and defend it. And therefore, that would require going in and taking out all of the Russian air defenses that have been moved in that area. It might also mean having to engage some of the Russian air defenses in Belarus and in Russia proper because they're long enough range that their protective envelopes or their engagement envelopes extend into Ukrainian airspace. And then shooting down or attacking any Russian jets and potentially also helicopters that are being employed against Ukrainian forces or civilians on the ground. And who would do this? Like, are we talking the U.S., NATO? Who would be in charge, I guess, of of actually doing this? That's the question. Nobody has said that they want to. The United States and the Biden administration has made it quite clear that they don't plan to get directly involved in the defense of Ukraine. Um, NATO has similarly deferred. There have been some other ideas of limited no-fly zones out there in terms of establishing certain protected areas, perhaps over the humanitarian corridors that Russia and Ukraine have agreed to, to allow civilians to escape the areas where combat is ongoing. But it's not clear that that is any really less risky than an an entire no-fly zone. That's an interesting point, because I think some people would say, well, maybe you don't need to have it over all of Ukraine. You can have it over maybe these specific areas. But what you're saying is you could kind of get caught up basically in, in the same conundrum in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if Russia is going to respect the safe corridors, they're not necessary. So it's unneeded. And if they're not, then you're still going to be fighting Russia to defend those spaces. And that's the fundamental decision. Stacey, you mentioned air defense as something that you would need to think about here. What what exactly is that? Like when you say air defense, what do you mean? Yeah, so um, Russia actually has an extensive air defense system, which involves a bunch of different trucks that together monitor the airspace. So they're radars and they track any aircraft that are above. 
And then if those aircraft are identified as being enemy ones or hostile, there's another truck that has missiles on it, and it will fire those missiles up in the air and shoot down the airplanes. Or at times there are more fixed air defenses around certain important cities or military installations. In this instance, most of the all of the Russian air defenses, I believe, um, that they're using here are mobile. So that presents additional difficulties because they're hard to find. They move around um, and they look like lots of other trucks that are down there. So picking those out from the clutter can be really difficult. They also shut off their radars when they're not operating and to hide, which makes them harder to identify. So it sounds like from NATO's perspective, there's not an appetite really for a no-fly zone right now. But this is something that Ukraine, um, both its leader and, and its people, have been calling on, on the West to do. Why does Ukraine want a no-fly zone? Ukraine's, um, you know, rightly in the position where they're looking for any assistance that they could get. And they know that the, they're not in a fair fight. Um, they are very overmatched by Russian forces, quantitatively and qualitatively. And so they're pleading for help to defend their country and to protect their citizens because there's a terrible sort of human tragedy that's unfolding on the ground. I've heard people make the case that if the international community or NATO would intervene and at least neutralize Russian air power, that would enable the Ukrainian forces to um, have a better fighting chance of standing up to the Russian ground forces that are coming in. And there's some truth in that. But at the same time, one of the striking things about the war thus far is that the Russians haven't actually employed their air force as much as most people would have anticipated. Mm. Um, a lot of the strikes that are coming are from ballistic and cruise missiles that are fired from range. Um, and Which means they from have, the, does that mean from the ground? It, some of them are from the ground, yes. Um, some of them have come off of ships. It's not the Russian Air Force doing most of the damage. Do you have a sense of why we haven't seen a more aggressive push from the Russian Air Force? It's it's unclear. It's puzzling. Um, some people suspect that it might be because they were unprepared. It, it seems like many of the forces were not alerted in advance to the plan, and therefore they might not have been ready. There are also concerns. Russia's never been particularly good at using both its ground-based air defenses, which uh, are supposed to intercept enemy aircraft above, and having its own airplanes flying ahead. And this is something that the United States and NATO have also um, sometimes had problems uh, with, where there could be a friendly fire incident. So essentially, they're shooting down their own planes by accident then. Yeah. So there, there are thoughts that maybe they were trying to phase it and were planning to employ air forces later. So we've talked about why, why Ukraine really does want uh, a no-fly zone. What's the case against it specifically for Ukraine right now? The case against it is, is twofold. It's really, it's not going to have the intended effect. The greatest threat is coming from Russia's ground forces, unless the international community is going to intervene in the war and directly attack Russian um, ground troops. It's probably not going to change the outcome. The second piece is the escalatory risk. Putin, uh, before or in the first days of the invasion, engaged in a lot of nuclear saber rattling. Russian President Vladimir Putin put Russia's nuclear arsenal on high alert on Sunday, further raising the stakes amid his military assault on Ukraine. 
And he had directly and quite explicitly threatened to use nuclear weapons against any state that intervened on the side of Ukraine or attacked Russia directly. And both of those eventualities could happen if a no-fly zone were established and Russia challenged it. There was a proposal a few days ago about uh, Poland sending fighter jets, which are, are called MiGs, to Ukraine. Is that to kind of allow Ukraine to, to do this themselves or, or is it a way to, to get around this? Yeah, I mean, in some sense it is. So we don't normally call it a no-fly zone, but when you defend your a country defends its sovereign airspace, uh, that is essentially your own no-fly zone. You control it. The Polish MiGs what seem to be a potentially creative solution. And it's not a terrible idea. I don't think it probably would have allowed Ukraine to fully establish control over the airspace. Part of the reason the MiG deal got squashed was because it was very public and um, there were concerns within some of the NATO leadership that that was too risky. Who squashed that, by the way? Who, who decided that was not a good idea? I'm not sure who ultimately put their foot down. I was talking to General Burkhardt, who's the French chief of defense the other day, and he clearly thought it was a bad idea. I've heard that the Americans did. But I think the Poles were trying to thread a, a needle there because they could have just given the aircraft to Ukraine. But that puts them in Russia's crosshairs and they share a border with Russia. So they were hoping that they could use NATO or the United States and uh, Ramstein Air Base in Germany as a pass through so that they weren't directly implicated or, or not as directly implicated. And that didn't work. If not a no-fly zone, is there anything else that NATO could be doing to, to help Ukraine militarily here? Expanding its own ground-based air defenses is a very attractive option. Um, there are rumors that this is being considered, that some former Warsaw Pact states or countries that have Russian-made air defenses that the Ukrainians already know how to operate might be giving some of those to them. That's one piece of it. Continuing to provide anti-armor weapons like the Javelin and other really short-range air defense systems like the Stinger missiles that are held on your shoulder. And those aren't good against jets that are flying really high in the air because they can't reach them, but they can be used successfully against helicopters that fly lower and also planes when they take off and landing if they're by the airports. Just, I guess, just help me understand the difference here between setting up a no-fly zone and and then providing more substantial weapons and other capabilities to Ukraine. I guess, why is one considered an act of war and the other one isn't? In the case where you're just providing capabilities, none of the international forces, NATO, the United States, are actually shooting at Russians. Mm. They're just providing weapons. And this is something that has happened frequently across times throughout the Cold War, uh, both sides armed different sides in Vietnam and the Korean War and in many different proxy wars in Afghanistan. Um, and that wasn't seen as escalatory. A no-fly zone, in contrast, requires NATO to actually get involved and be willing to directly engage in combat by shooting down Russian jets or attacking its air defense systems on the ground. Stacy, thank you for taking the time to walk us through this today. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. 
Kasia Mihailovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.